best friends who's on my team this years ago. And I was like, one day I want to run a business where like, it's like a rock star, like Mick Jagger, mm -hmm. you know, they give you a song set, your favorite jelly beans, tell you what's what, you know, where the square is on the, on the stage or the, the X that you need to stand on when yeah. to get on the bus and you just go do your thing and that you're gifted at doing. And I'm like, that's really like the secret sauce. I think in business is when you got the best people in each position around you, you know, the problem is finding those best people gets messy. Like finding videographer, finding somebody who does a good podcast, somebody who has a good look and a good vision. You know, Alex Hermosi, I'm going to fix this really quick just so that the camera looks better. Alex, I'm afraid too. I'm going to have my head back. Podcast. Oh, no, you're good. Um, Alex Hermosi was talking about that. And he said the number one mistake he made as an entrepreneur, as a business owner was having B players. He said the distance between a B player and an A player is so extreme. And um, so that's why, like, I, that's that's my thing. A players only. He talks about how you can overpay an A player. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's worth it. Oh, absolutely. Like double, triple. Yeah. Well, somebody just sent me his new book, $100 million deals. Yep. Like, I want to start reading it. I have the most amazing collection of books that I've never read. <laughs> People buy me two things they buy me books and bourbon. Yeah. And I don't really use That's why I didn't buy them. you either. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to buy you some underwear. I wear those. <laughs> Tommy got me this beautiful gun case, like for my oh, shot. Oh yeah, you showed me. Yeah, cool. at the office. Yeah, yes. Yeah. What a guy. Yeah, Jen was no help. Yeah, right. <laughs> you came out. I was creative, but that one. Yeah, she did talk about hunting though, so I was like, yeah, this will be something that lasts forever. Yeah, my favorite. You do. Is that do you do you love giving gifts to people? Is that part of like I your do love enjoy language? giving gifts. Yeah, you it's not language? a. It is not. I don't. I, I don't care if I ever receive them. Right. Yeah. So love language that I would like to like that I receive would be words of encouragement or words of affirmation. Yeah. So I give those out like parade candy. Yeah, for sure. Are Absolutely. people typically not good at, at the love language that they want to receive? Because I notice that a lot. Like mine's, are, mine's words of affirmation. No. I'm terrible at gift. I really I disagree. I would disagree wholeheartedly. I feel like most people. Yeah. yeah. I can't if I, if I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for me to like bullshit through that. Yeah. I get, I get that. I feel like, I, just, I feel like most people readily give what they're hoping to receive. That's true. At least it's what I found. Acts of true. service is the one I like to give and receive the most. Yeah. Like I'll do anything for, for folks. I'll work, you know, you need me to carry that, do that. Yeah. Volunteer for that. That's what gets me in trouble all the time. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think when you're in a healthy place. It's so easy to say, I'll give away the thing that either I needed the most or the thing that I want the most. I think what it's hardest is when you are like starving for it and you can't receive it because you're not matching that energy, not matching the frequency. So when people are in that really hard state where they're not feeling love from others or they're not feeling seen, I'm like, I tell them, go give away the thing that you want the most and watch what happens. So there, there is like a, there is like a switch in that energy somewhere. Yeah. But I always feel like that flips people in the right direction. 100%. When it's like, just go give the thing you want. Watch what happens. Yeah. I think that was something that Robin Williams said a lot was that one of the main reasons that he wanted to bring people joy was because he didn't want ever, anyone to ever feel the way that he had felt. Wow. Right? Like lonely, depressed. And I find that to be super true with my own story. You know, like we had talked about just yeah. a lot of trauma and like 
hatred as a child and being picked on, it becomes super easy to just go, bro, I don't want anybody to ever feel this way. And so then you just start giving it out, you know, because you know what it feels like. So I think there's something true to that. That's a good segue to uh, the first question I wanted to ask you, which is what was a time in your life that you remember that you almost lost hope? Dude, yeah. I think there've been a couple, but one would have been super early on in my childhood, being raised super poor. Dad wasn't very educated, couldn't provide like at a high level. Um, We had left a large church we were at. He went to pastor a whole missions church. So I went from like this large thriving youth group to just being the youth group, you know, Um, gained a lot of weight, was picked on a lot, you know? And so when you're in those moments, you just feel like, bro, this is how it's going to be forever. You know, you're like 11 years old and you're like, things are never going to change, you know? Um, and so it becomes kind of easy to lose hope when you, you cannot see a way out of that, you know? And you told me a story about on the opposite, how that pivot shifted when we were having dinner. So like, what was that hope dealing moment that like, where you feel like, boom, it shifted and you were like, whoa. Yeah. So I think for me, two things happened at the same time, a really beautiful thing of, okay, because I'm not receiving this at any significant level, I know how to give it and give it really, really well. And then the not so good thing was, if this is the version of me that you want, then I'll just put on a mask and I'll be that guy. Right. And so there was like beauty and pain kind of all happening at the same time. Right. So like, because I'm not receiving this, I know how to give it. I know how to give it really well. I can make people feel super loved and admired and adored and important, you know, all of those things. But also, okay, you guys like this version of Tommy. I'll just be that version when I'm with you, right? And so that starts a trajectory of years of meeting people and going, okay, if that's the version of me that you want, I can do that, you know? You, be- you became stronger, you told me. You started excelling in sports. You came into your true, your, your, you start, you know, taking care of yourself, looking good, you were getting attention. Yeah, I started like leading worship in front of a church of several hundred people. You know, everybody's like, oh my gosh, Tommy can sing, Tommy has gifts, Tommy has talents, those sorts of things. And so, you know, you start to feel valued in certain areas. Yep. And so you then you just stick to those, right? Even if it means a sheer exhaustion for yep. you, right? It's like, you know, I was a U.S. history teacher for eight years and we covered the Gilded Age, right? The Gilded Age is that it's all my crap. Yeah, it's all crap inside and then you yeah. just cover everything with gold. Right. And that's how masquerades work. Yeah. You know, especially people who um, go through those periods of loneliness and despair and then come out on the other side just wanting to love everybody. You can do that to the neglect of yourself, the absolute, absolute neglect of yourself, you know, so that everything looks good on the outside and inside. You're just like when you're alone, you're just like, oh, my gosh, I'm pouring from nothing, you know. So if you had to go back to that moment and talk to that individual who was going through that thinking, this is what. Yeah. Were the things he needed to do? What would you tell him? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm in starting to get into my upper 30s now and I'm still grappling with those things. I think if I could go back to that place, just being real with who you are. Right. And I didn't have anybody telling me that, you know, Um, but you cannot change or heal who you like. um, Who the words escaping me. You cannot heal or change who you pretend to be, right? Yeah. You can only truly change who you are beneath it all. Yeah. And so as long as you perpetuate the lie of this is who I am and everything's fine and I'm the strong guy and 
you know, I'm the comedian in the room and I'm the one who's going to make you feel loved. Everything inside is just decaying. And, you know, so being true to who you are, I think would definitely be step number one. And how did you learn that for yourself? By coming to the absolute end of myself and having nothing left to give, Yeah, you know? Um, so some personal failings in my life that were very out in the open that everyone could see, which led to a ton of shame, which led to panic attacks for the first time in my life. I lived with heart palpitations for two and a half years where my body was just like, bro, we cannot go on like this. You know, I went to the heart doctor and he's like, dude, your heart's strong as a horse. Your arteries are fine. Is everything okay? You're like, everything's fine, bro. You know, and you just like go back, but just literally getting to the absolute end of myself, um, losing a lot of friends through that whole process and really just understanding that that's okay. Just getting all the way down to ground zero and being okay with that Mm. and kind of rebuilding from there. I think that's one of the most unique things. And I think a lot of people who understand the concept of hope have felt the other side of it. When we talk a lot about despair, like, cause that is like hopelessness is the opposite of having hope. Like it's literally the opposite of dark and light. And so I know in my life as well, and some of the stories that I've seen, it's like you relate with your creator on such a deeper level when you're crucified by the people who said they love you. That's the hardest thing. I think there's a betrayal in that of when they put you on the cross while they're hiding everything that they've done behind their back, which, which really helps. It's kind of like the concept that I learned that like, you really understand your father a lot more when you become one, Mm -hmm, you can really get him. When you become one, like that they did their best they know to do. And when the hard times were really hard, the good times are really good. You can just identify with so much more. And I think that's what brings us closer and closer to understanding who God is in our lives is by going through the experiences that the person that we're saying that we want to model, when we can actually live some of those moments and see some of those moments of like, God, please take this away from me because it's just too much for me to bear. And he's like, this is your path. You got to just trust that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure you saw a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one thing I've really learned through the process, and I think we've talked about this before, but, you know, most people, I think, especially once you reach a certain level of self-awareness or, you know, I think it was Mark Twain and I won't quote it accurately, but he basically said that change can only happen when somebody becomes truly disgusted with where they are. Yeah. Right. Because it's only from that place that you're motivated to do something. So I think once people get to that place and you start looking back at your childhood and realizing that the only way that you can move forward is to come all the way down to ground zero, you know, and to intentionally and consistently work at keeping our hearts soft, right? Because it becomes so very easy to put up walls to protect your heart from disappointment, frustration, betrayal, but those same walls keep out love and affection and acceptance and peace, purpose, right? And so something I found was that the masquerades, which lead to like this gilded image, which lead to exhaustion and, you know, people say you can't pour from an empty cup and all of those things lead to a place of putting up walls and a hardening of your heart. And until you can soften that heart, whether you're a believer or not, however you accomplish that, the heart has to become soft again yeah, absolutely. for any kind of growth to take place, in my opinion. You I know? had one of those moments a couple of months ago where I don't remember where I was at, but I just had a moment when I just like 
why do you, why are you not feeling joy like you see these other people feeling joy right yeah and i started on this journey of like really just questioning like well why am i not feeling that then i start asking myself other questions like you know extreme happiness you know overwhelming love like start realizing this theme that i wasn't really i knew something was off that i i wasn't experiencing in the way that other people experience it and so started really looking into this, I started realizing that I had a coping me mechanism for so long of not wanting to feel that pain, the sadness, the anxiousness that I'd learned how to really deal with it. I, that I, I, my own way of dealing with it. And, but the light bulb that went off is when I'm there trying to play in that middle zone and keep that vibration frequency really, really kind of timid right down the middle. Well, yeah, I, I protected myself from diving down to those lows, but I also robbed myself of experiencing the, the highs, the joys, you know, the overwhelming love, the overwhelming gratitude, right? And I wish I could say that I turned the switch back on, but I've realized that 30 years, 30, well, 40 years of dealing with that, and it was at the age of six, I became the man of the household. So I never really was equipped with that. And, um, I, it's going to be a journey, but I'm, 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 I'm seeing it like one day, one moment at a time. Right. And I'll be driving down the road now and I'll hear something. I'll just start smiling. And I tell myself, I'm like, you wouldn't have never done that six months ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's beautiful. And uh, I think people, I guess what I want to, what I would say about that. And after hearing your experiences, I just think people need to give themselves more grace in the moments that they're going through and start looking for the small victories instead of the big victories. Right. Like hope, I think, comes from like small kept promises to yourself, Com building confidence very slowly. You know, it's not something if we could all just go buy a big jar of hope off off the shelf. Like, yeah, yeah. great. That's not how it works. though. Yeah. Um, so. You know, going back, what would we tell, you know, that individual? Right? And so what's the journey been like since? you started really understanding who Tommy is and yeah. like, where, what's it evolved into? Like now as, as a man and a husband and a father, like, I guess what I'm saying is how do you feel like, what is the, 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 the big differences from who you were to what you've been learning on this journey? Yeah. Um, so I think it's, you know, ever in process, right? You know, I think we all would say that there are moments we wish we'd have been a better dad or a better okay. husband, you know? Um, I think for me, it's just stripping away versions of myself that I think other people need from me. Yeah. Right. And really getting down to um, singular focus. Right. Um, understanding that the idea of multitasking is an illusion. Yeah. Right. For most people, multitasking means when I'm with my family, I'm thinking about my job. And when I'm at my job, I'm thinking about my family. And it's like they think it's this intermarriage. And really, it's when I'm with my family, I'm with my family. Right. And when I'm working the job, I'm on the job. And when I'm serving, I'm serving. And it's really just being where you are. I think just trying to find center um, has been incredibly beneficial to me. Like identifying your top purposes and passions and responsibilities, yeah. right? Being a father and a husband is like, it's not something you do flippantly. So identifying those and just sticking to those. You know, I heard, I think it was Elon Musk's ex-wife gave a TED talk and she was talking about how she noticed him, right? That he would say no very readily, very quickly. 
And for a while, she was like, my gosh, this guy just says no to everybody and everything. And then she realized that by saying no, it was a more powerful yes. Because if I say no to the things that do not align with my purpose, or they do not align to my goals, or they don't help me serve others in some way, I am betraying my purpose and my people and my passions. Um, And so understanding that every no to the wrong thing is a very powerful yes to the right thing um, has been a monumental shift for sure. If you say no more immediately, you can always go back and change your mind. (laughs) Right. You say yes all the time. What you find is you get yourself in some messes. Right. So one of the ones I think I've really, really learned over, over the last several years is boundaries are not a bad thing. I always thought boundaries was a bad thing just because people have abused that word. You know, and I think we talked about this, like boundaries are not to keep people out. You establish boundaries to keep the people that you love in right. and close to you, right? Dr. Henry Cloud wrote a book, Boundaries, which I recommend to just about every single person in my coach. I just tell them, go read Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud. It's an amazing book. But the concept is that when you put horses inside of a boundary, if you think about it, when those horses feel protected and safe in that boundary, they'll literally walk up to the edge and put their tail up and scratch their ass on the back of the, on the back of the, uh, uh, of the fence. Yeah. yeah. Versus when you see horses in an open field, if they're not running, they're all huddled together and they're all looking out because it feels dangerous. And so that's a huge reframe on boundaries for people is, oh no, boundaries are meant to protect you, not to enslave you. And it's, it's not to keep you persecuted inside of this little box. It's actually to promote you and, and to protect you to go do the things that you're called to do. And so that's, that's a, I mean, a huge, absolutely huge. Thing. And I think our generation treats that very differently than what our parents experienced. And we probably saw a lot of those boundaries violated and the things for us where we saw, you know, maybe that was, didn't go down the way, you know, that, uh, that would have been the right way for that to go down. And then we learn, and then we have those experiences. So that's huge. But yeah, if you've never read the book, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Absolutely. And I think another thing too is vantage point, right? So that 11-year-old kid, one of the main reasons I would feel hopeless is because of a poor vantage point, right? You know, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this as a father. I was thinking, you know, my daughter is four years old, so she's a little taller now, but especially when she was younger. If I'm at the kitchen counter doing something for her, fixing her breakfast or a snack or whatever, and she's on the floor just losing her mind because she thinks daddy's just playing around. She thinks daddy is just like doing who knows what, right? She has no idea that on the counter, I'm actually doing the thing that she's asking me for or desiring, right? If I pick her up and I show it to her and her vantage point changes, she realizes, okay, things are actually working out for my good what I want is actually taking place, but she can't see it from her vantage point. Okay. Right. And so, you know, some people would call that your circle of awareness. I've heard it called your circle of awareness. You cannot think outside of your circle of awareness. Right. So being a, a poor fat kid from Louisiana who's picked on and, you know, like you have no idea of things that actually exist outside your circle of awareness. So something very pivotal for me was reading, you know, reading people like Jim Rohn, looking into people who, maybe had come from Louisiana or some other similar background who made it, who persevered, who, you know, educated themselves out of it or whatever the case may be. Sometimes if you can't find hope within yourself, you have to look for people who maybe have had a similar story who have come out of that. And you just kind of, you just ride on their hope, you know, yeah. for as long as you have to. I remember going to the grocery stores all the time. You talk about that circle of awareness and that just hit me because I just realized Going to the grocery store with my mom, we we always had, we were on WIC on food stamps, 
So I even learned at like six, seven, and eight years old to look for that little symbol next to the food on the grocery store aisle. Before I knew what that was, I remember just always asking for Apple Jacks, Lucky Charms, you know, tricks, and just over and over and over. No, you, we can't have those. No, we can't afford those. And it'd be like, we're getting Cheerios or cornflakes on the bottom. It'd <laughs> be like, oh man. But my circle of awareness wasn't like, oh, we're poor. We can't afford that cereal. It was just like, that's what it was. And other things started happening in my life where like owning a home, like there are people that parents had their own home and stuff. I was like, well, that was for other people. Just didn't really know anything about it, right? It was like, we, we rent, that's what we do. And so my circle awareness didn't really, really occur until I got to the point like um, almost college. Um, now in high school, I did start to realize, yeah, like you start realizing you don't have as much money and stuff like that. But like all the way up until then, I had used clothes, used toys. I wasn't really aware of it. Now where things really shifted was when like my back was up against the wall and I used to go to McDonald's on Mondays and get 10 cent cheeseburgers. I'd get like 20 of them because that's all I had money for. And I'd be broke and I'd eat those all week. Or I'd get tuna fish and put barbecue in there, uh, barbecue sauce in there and mix it up and make barbecue or butter sandwiches. When my back was up against the wall, I think that's when my circle of awareness really started morphing in my confidence and my hope because that's also where a lot of bad things were formed where I was like, I'm going to muscle myself out of this. And like, this will never happen again. It was healthy, but it, it wasn't healthy. So I say that because sometimes hope means tapping into some things, even if we don't mean to, that is unhealthy. What was something unhealthy that you tapped into that you think did help you get to, you know, where you, where you are and get through those moments? Like work ethic, you know, confidence was a, you know, did you maybe step on some people's heads that did help you get, you did get through life, but then realize later you made a mistake? Like what was some of those traits? Yeah. Um, the unhealthy stuff for me, I think would just tie back to being a version of myself that, um, didn't serve me. Yeah. Right. You know, and I think all of us enjoy serving people, right. And loving on people and ministering to people in some capacity or another. And I think I just became whatever version of myself I needed to be in those moments for the good of everyone else, even if that was to the detriment of myself. And I think that, you know, people say it all the time that your talents can take you places where your character cannot uphold you, right? And so what started happening at a very early age, right, 14, 15, 16 years old, singing in front of lots of people, being doted on, like, especially going from like never feeling loved and being bullied and all that stuff to like, all of a sudden, yeah. you know, Tommy goes away and then Tommy comes back and he's like this completely different person. Right. And oh my gosh, it's like all of this. It's like, wow, that feels amazing. You know? And so what happens is your talents can open doors for you and move things so quickly that your character just can't sustain you there. And so what ended up happening for me was it, it took about 10 or 11 years, but that's exactly what happened, you know? And so I think a lot of the unhealth came from just not being real with myself in those moments when you're alone, being strong enough to get a picture of your life the way that you want it and just stick to that, regardless of what you feel other people may need from you, especially if they're not in your inner circle. You know, it's like exhausting. you talk about inner circle a lot, very exhausting, very exhausting. Because um, they say the chameleon, you know, you're being a chameleon, like all the different hats, like who you're trying to please. They say a chameleon, if it has to just keep on changing colors, like it'll eventually die. Yeah. 
No, not really. I just made that up. <laughs> it's like eighty six percent of statistics it's, are all made up. Yeah, they they're made up on the spot. Yeah. But who was yeah, who was your confidant in that season? Like when you were dealing with personal failure and then you were like coming out of that and then getting your your confidence and your stride back. Like who was like who was your rock? Who'd you lean on? Yeah. So still working on the confidence coming back aspect. That's like a huge thing that I'm I'm still working on. Um like nine years later. Um, but as far as confidant, I didn't really have anyone. It took probably about two or three years of me just kind of doing it by myself and then turning to some friends and one friend in particular, I, I couldn't tell if it was from love or annoyance, but he was like, bro, you got to talk to my guy. So-and-so, you know, he was like, this is the guy you need. Right. And so met up with a mentor when I still lived in Houston, um, who was very gifted with inner healing and those types of things. Um, that really set me on a trajectory of kind of figuring some of this stuff out and going back to the places where it all started, right? Because even nine years ago, when everything hit the fan and it all come falling apart, I had no idea why, you know? There's like a lot of, because of the way I was raised and because of who I am as a person, just a lot of self-hatred, like everything just turns inward, right? And it was just like, oh, this is all your fault. You should have been better. You knew better. All of those sorts of things, self-deprecating without ever thinking like maybe something just broke a really long time ago and I never addressed it or knew how to address it or had anybody kind of uh, do that. And so that was pretty pivotal. Looking, Looking back, back now, is there a place of where you're grateful that experience happened? Yes. I'm incredibly grateful because, you know, who knows where the trajectory of my life would have been had that not happened. Obviously, you know, I... I'm not the kind of person who goes, I'm glad it happened. Everything happens for a reason. There are certain aspects of things that transpired that I'm guilty of that I wish I would have made better choices, right? But I am able now to look back and see the healing and growth that has been able to come from it for sure. You feel like that's, I see that like it seems to be really consistent in people's story is at some point you make a decision to say, this is actually good. Like, I hate that it happened, but I can't, you know, it's like Madonna, if I could turn back time, but we can't. Right. Yeah. So the idea is that when we, I think we're most in a position of we're, we're most sovereign or most in line or in alignment with God of when we can look at a scenario and say that we willingly take responsibility to endure the suffering uh, yeah. and say, you know what? I'm just going to accept that it happened and I'm going to accept that this is going to impact me for the better. And it's kind of the idea of that, like how suffering works is you either, the pain doesn't go anywhere. The weight doesn't change. So you willingly accept it and it becomes the thing that you shoulder and it becomes part of your mission or you just allow the weight to crush you. And I think a lot of people get to that place of like, am I going to allow this to crush me? Or am I going to have the courage to pick this thing up and actually shoulder it and, and, and deal with it and move through it. And I just want you to know you're doing better than you think you are. Thanks man. Yeah. And I, and I know that like at the end of the day, there's a lot that you have to work through and there's a lot that you're observing, but every day you're making a conscious decision to say one more step, one more step forward. I know that God's doing something unique in my life. I know that he's not done with me yet. I love that God uses broken moments in our lives to actually create the most beautiful memories for ourselves yeah. because it's true. That's what redemption is. Right. If Jesus came and he died and then nothing happened. Come on, exactly, like yeah. we, our, our entire North Star is to follow someone who died for the thing that he believed in most. Yeah. 
to take on the weight and the burden of suffering at the highest degree. So what makes us think that it's going to be any different? Right. And we all go through something. And the degrees of that something are all different for everyone. But we all go through through a crushing. We all go through that absolute, like getting absolutely smashed on both ends. Right. But I just want you to know, man, like my desire for you is that you just keep stepping into it, that you actually shoulder it so much that it becomes the thing that you wear as like a cape behind you, right. the superhero who God created you to be. And you just go like, yeah, this broken part of me was made into something that was absolutely beautiful. And that's what God does. Yeah. So he does. I, I think it's so fascinating that the things that we assume that we're most unqualified to do, that God uses us to actually qualify us to do the thing that he wants us to do. It happens all the time in so many, I've coached, I don't know, 500 entrepreneurs. I can look at all their stories and go like, the thing that you came in, the day you came in that you said, this is what I want to do, but I just don't have the whatever, the courage, the faith, the audacity, the belief, the whatever to go do it. I'm like, that's the thing you're supposed to do. Right. So it just, it all just comes to a moment and then you make a a decision. Like I I believe trauma is healed in a moment. I just think it takes a lot of people a lifetime to get through it. And the best part about that is just forgiving ourselves. Right. And, you know, when we stop judging ourselves, then we have the ability to stop judging other people. And that's what I do. That's why I just get up there and I'm like, I don't know, throw stones, throw hearts, throw flowers. I don't give a crap what you throw at me. I'm just going to do it. But it took a lifetime. Right. To get that. And I don't have it all figured out. I just know that I don't judge myself based on my my fractures. Yeah. I just go like, well, perfect. That, That makes room for God to do what he can do. Absolutely. I embrace it. And you're there. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing. That's why I want to encourage you with. Thanks, man. Let's get encouragement. I will say, like, I had somebody ask me one time, they were like, you know, do you live with regrets? And I looked at them and I said, you know, man, be completely 100% honest with you. That's one thing I don't. And, you know, my wife has always said, she goes, you have so much faith in everything. She goes, I can see it. It just, there's always faith that gets so confident around you. And this person had asked me, he's like, well, how is it possible that you just don't regret anything in your life? And I said, you know, I know that God's promises, they're, they're written, like they're, they're true. I really, really believe that because I've seen bad things happen and then they turned into the good. I've went through bad things and I got, it equipped me to be able to handle something else better. And so I stopped guessing I don't know where it was in my life that I stopped like questioning that and guessing. And, but there was, he said, so there is nothing, nothing whatsoever. And then he dropped this bomb on. He said, you said that your dad called your mother 10 minutes before he took his own life, right? And I said, yeah, I was sitting there. I remember six years old watching the cartoon. And he goes, do you regret not being the one that answered that phone? That one really, really rocked me. And I still am very torn and confused by it, but I still immediately go to, no, I wouldn't have changed that moment because I wouldn't be able to sit here and talk to people about what happened growing up without a father and being a young boy and getting lost and trying to find validation and hope and things, making mistakes and putting that in the wrong things. None of that would have ever happened. And... You know, I just, I think that being a hope dealer or having hope in a, in the moments of despair, just really, you have to tap into that thing that, you know, this is a story that's being written and all of these things are promises that are happening no matter what, right? 
and uh, I want to share that with people because sometimes I just, I question myself and I'm like, well, there has to be something that you regretted and I can't find it. Yeah. I really honestly can't other than like times when I've said something stupid, like those little moments of regret. Yeah, I have those, but like, I don't have overall regrets on like decisions I've made in life or nothing. Cause I know that that book that it was written way before me, right? Yeah. And I hope that we can really, really share that through this podcast with people. So you're around a lot of, you know, uh, teenagers, adolescents, people entering adult, adulthood right now. Um, you deal with families in your profession on a daily basis. Like, where do you see the despair right now? Like, what's, what are, what are some of the things that maybe we didn't have to deal with that you see, you know, them going through right now? I don't know. Um, you know, scripture says that there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't ascribe to the idea that this generation is facing anything that previous generations haven't faced. Maybe we're just facing it in a different way. Yeah. So I don't know that there's anything new, but I do think that most of the despair comes when we just focus on ourselves. Most of like when we just sit down and have a pity party or whatever you want to call it, you know, like, oh me, oh my, my family, my problems, me, me, me. That's when we really start to lose hope, you know? Um, when we can turn that focus outward and step outside of ourselves and realize that life is never going to be perfect for anyone, right? And that if we keep waiting for some magical, perfect moment when we're totally at peace to love on other people or serve other people, that an entire lifetime will pass by while we just sit and stare in the mirror at ourselves. And so I think most of the despair comes from outside sources, right? So whether that be media or whoever else is just just naysaying and only focusing on everything that's bad in the world. But it really happens when we just kind of sit with ourselves or our little circle or our little family and just focus on our problems. Right. I think, like you were saying earlier, if you need hope, go give it away to somebody. Yeah. Right. And the moment that you start focusing on other people, you're going to realize that it's not going to take you very long at all to find somebody who has a worse situation than you, far worse situation than you. Maybe they come from a worse situation. Maybe they're in a, a more intense situation and you just go, it really helps put perspective around where you're currently at. And that can bring a lot of hope. So I was coaching a guy the other day and I was like, he's just kind of like even keeled, very quiet, just doesn't, can, he can fade in a lot. And I was really like, how do I help this person? And somebody had you know, that I look up to it told me, he goes, pick out two or three qualities that you admire in him or that you know he's really good at and focus on affirming him around those. And like it stood out. There was like two or three things that quickly stood out. And I did. I like affirmed him. Like I kind of told him, you know, what I see in him and you could see him light up. So I totally do believe that not just on our, like the the moments we recognize it is like, when you're like, why does this stuff happen to me? Like, sure, this happened to me, right? Those are the moments I think that you need to turn that around. Absolutely. Right? To escape that victim mentality before it just takes deep root in your soul. Just being aware. I do that right yeah. now. What's, What's that? that? Tell him the two things you see. Um, um, so you, oh, I see, I see uh, almost on a daily basis when we're talking with each other, your words, um, you know, they, they, they penetrate, they, they go immediately into somebody's heart and you know, it's hard for me to put it into words like, because I feel it, right? You, your words translate into feeling, 
feelings very quickly, which means like what I mean is people don't have to get cerebral and try to figure them out. They don't have to question whether it's genuine. It just immediately penetrates and it starts filling you up, right? Um, it's almost like you're able to impart superpowers into other people. So he'll send me voice memos and like they're genuine, authentic, like compliments and prayers. And I don't have to question it. So I can immediately take the words that I'm hearing for face value of what they are. Yeah. Right. Um, you're an extremely devoted father. Like, I admire that about you. Thank you. You know, you don't focus on quantity. You focus on quality of time in things that you do. And that's rare in today's world. Um, and I also like your authenticity and transparency. You know, I mean, you're real. Like, you're, you'll tell me when there's like, hey, I need some prayer. Or, hey, this is not going well right now in my life. Yeah. And uh, those are just a couple. Thank you, Cap. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. What's, let's just say in two years, we're sitting back in the hope wagon. Yeah. And you have this like, holy crap moment. And you look back in reverse and you think of where you're at today, but then you're two years in the future and you're sitting down and you say, Nick and Sean, you guys won't believe what's happening in my life right now. What would That's that story be? Man, primarily, I think it would be me operating fully in my gifts and talents, yeah. not being held back by any sort of shame or self-hate or condemnation. So like, tell me the story from the gut level, like, like it's already happened. Like walk me through yeah. uh, that. Just hit fast forward. We're back here. It's 2025. Yeah. What's going on in your life? Yeah, absolutely. I am making enough financially through speaking and loving on people and coaching people to be able to do full-time ministry without being a burden on anybody else, oh, right? Great. So my life is like this perfect marriage of business coaching, loving on people, counseling people into their destinies, and that is making it financially able for me to just travel the world and love on orphans and people who are destitute. My children and my wife adore me because if they do, then yeah. I've... I've just really hit the nail on the head. What, what, what are some experiences y'all are having? I think one of my greatest joys would be able to do ministry and service. Okay, so I am doing, I am living in ministry and service with my family right alongside me. And what are your kids doing in that? The same thing, whatever they see dad doing. Right. So they're loving on people. They're going on missions trips. They're seeing people in other parts of the world who have literally nothing and they're giving of themselves to those people. Where, where are some places you've gone? Um, Cuba, India, Spain. What happened in Cuba? In Cuba, we loved on some orphans and bought up a bunch of clothes and food. Powerful. Yeah. What about your wife? What, what is, is she, she doing, doing or yeah, how is she feeling? You're two years in the future. Tell me about yeah. what her, a day in the life of your wife was like. Yeah, she's also living in her giftings, right? So she has found inner healing from her childhood self as well, right? And is just living in her giftings and talents as well, which is very creative, very design oriented. And she's a phenomenal mother. 
So she enjoys just spending her time and loving on her kids. Mm. It's powerful. Is there any specific moment that jumps out to you in that timeline sprint? Again, stay in 2025. Is there any specific moment that jumps out to you that seems to be a catalyst for a big shift in your life? Absolutely. You see what it is? Yeah, I think it happened actually in 2023, several weeks ago. And what's the pairing or matching moment of where you say, holy shit, that moment got me here. What's that one? It would be getting out of my own way. Maybe picking up a guitar. Maybe picking up a guitar. Yeah. Maybe spending some time with people in that space. Yeah, doing that. Putting pen to paper, writing some songs, being willing to open my mouth, feeling like I'm worthy enough to love on people the way that I love on Cap. Right. And not being held back by that because there's a lot of people who need to feel like Cap feels when I talk to them. Yeah. Absolutely. And for nine years, I have very aggressively and intentionally and purposefully kept myself from doing it. I give you a gift that my dad gave me because I struggled with this severely for my life. And one day I was talking to my, my dad and I was like, I just, I got to figure out a way to like allow my heart of ministry to show up and then just, that's who I am. And I want that to bleed through in what I do. He said, Nick, you're an oracle for God. Just open. So I just give that to you to say, <laughs> brother, you're an oracle for God. Just open your mouth. What's wild about the suppression of the voice, which is the number one challenge I think in the world right now is the only way to cure suppression. I tell you the truth. So at some point, there's going to be a point of where you find a way to free yourself. And that will come in the format of you realizing the pain of the people on the other side who need you and the shame, it's one or the other. And you're standing right in the middle. You're either going to hold on to that or you're going to say, screw it, let's do it. And you're just going to lean into the idea that what someone else needs on the other side is far greater than the pain of the shame that I felt in the past. Right. But honesty is the only way to get there. Absolutely. So just embrace it. And, and it's, it's just, just as true that you're an oracle for God as that you had a moment of whatever that was, whether it's lapse, judgment or whatever. Yep. And the greatest way that we can forgive, our, forgive ourselves is understanding that we have done that for other people who have done us wrong too. And you know all this shit. So just open your fucking mouth. Right. Because at the end of the day, that's, that's the embrace. What did I say, right? When you first met me, you want to change the world? Encourage five people a day. Yeah. Right. That's it. Yeah. Because it's not about all the way up here. It's a hope dealer mission. It's a hope dealer mission. It's above down, inside out. As soon as we're outside in and up, that's where life works in reverse. So we're going like, God, okay. This, this is my entire strategy and business. It sounds so insane. Every time I talk about it, I'm like, people, they probably don't believe this is true. This is literally how I work. I sit in that way. I go like, okay, God, who do I need to encourage today? And I go through my phone book and I'll start at the top if I don't see something. Right. 
boom, I haven't talked to person in six years. And I was be like, yo, God put you on my heart today. I don't know why. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if you're on the highest high or on the lowest low. I just want you to know that I believe great things are on the way for you. Absolutely. And then message me back like, what, what? The world is starving, absolutely starving for encouragement. 100%. So, yeah. whoa, that's good. It's, it's so foundational. Yeah. And, and so I just encourage you to go do it. No, you don't need a permission slip to encourage people. 100%. Yeah. Like be, you're either part of the cure or you're part of the disease. Want to be part of the cure? Just follow Big Wayne's advice. That's yeah. my dad. Big Wayne. <laughs> yeah. God just told me something really powerful. So he's like, see if I can get the words behind it. So when you speak those words, Tommy, those, those words are not heard by the deaf ear. Right. Those words are heard by the living ear. And so may that encourage you that when you say something and you feel you're an oracle and you just need to just say it, like if the ears are deaf, the ears are deaf. Right. You know, but it's the ones that are alive that are waiting to hear that. It's kind of like they say, it's absolutely incredible how we don't do things or chase our dreams because of people that don't give a shit about us and how they might judge us. Yeah. But what about the people that are encouraging us? We're robbing them by not trying to be our true self. Yeah. Right. That's where I got that from. And when God was just telling me that, it's like the same thing with our words. It's going to fall on people out there and be like, who's he think he is? Those are deaf ears. Right. Right. Yeah. But there's that one person, you know, that we've all heard that in our lives have happened. And we're like, man, I thank God that he said that at that moment. Yeah. Right. Imagine the tragedy, you know, of having a word that would have changed the course of someone's life, changed their life from, you know, taking their own life. Right. It's like I think about abortion. I'm like, can you imagine the talent and the world changers and the kingdom changers that were extinguished? Right. And so we are literally like extinguishing that, in my opinion, when we abort opportunity to say, I need to say this right now. This is why the world, like, oh, what brings me righteous anger? Like, you asked me that question. <laughs> This whole thing where it's like, I don't want to tell someone something because it might hurt their feelings. Yeah. Oh, so you rather just let them keep doing what they're doing and completely destroy their life? That's not love. No. no. Well, people, a lot of people are direct. They just don't know how to be direct with love. Right. So they just hit the jugular versus hitting the heart. It's like, you're just off, <laughs> just a little, just aim a little lower. Um, and that's the challenge. That's the challenge. Because people, mo most people are not compassionately curious. So they're not in it to help them. They're in it to be right. And yeah. that's the miss. Yeah, that's yeah. the direct, but without love. Yep. When it's like you ask and you seek for permission. This is what I ask people a lot when I want to speak into their life. And it's, and it's like one of those things where this might hurt a little, but I'm just, I just go love you. I ask them, do I have permission to speak into your life? Yeah. And okay. as soon as they say yes, guess what? Just hit the heart and didn't hit the head or the throat. Right. So then they're like, yeah, absolutely. And I go, great. And then I use this. Actually, it's an organizational change communication model. It's called ADKAR, A-D-K-A-R. And the first one is awareness. Um, and then it's desire, knowledge, ability, and reinforcement. So you start with the awareness. Then you go to like, here's my desire in communicating this. Here's what I need you to know. 
here's how I want to support you. And then you reinforce, I believe in you and you throw a little sandwich, the compliment sandwich in there. And every single time it works. So I'm like, I tell people sometimes I'm like, put in, say what you really want to say, throw it into chat GPT and then say, now say this in ad car. And there you'll get a message that can be delivered with directness and love where someone can actually hear you. Yeah. And I think that's the hardest part. I've had a lot of people in my life who are like, will give me advice about things, but they're so, they can be so blatantly direct that I'm like, I can't hear you. Yep. So it's like, cause you just punched me in the mouth. You didn't put your arm around me. You missed, right? The relationship right. wasn't there first. Even if relationships there sometimes, like I remember like sometimes with my mentor, by the way, who suicidal gun in his mouth, his neighbor knocks on his door and goes, I don't know. God told me to come here, man. And I'm just telling you, your life has meaning and purpose. Wow. Saved his life. Yeah. Wow. Saved his life. Remarkable. I mean, that's, that's, we'll have Tony on the Hope Wagon. So you never know with that moment, but the idea, I don't remember what the hell I was talking about. Well, we're talking about, you know, how people like add it, car compliment sandwich. Yeah. We call it the shit sandwich. <laughs> it's like, sometimes it's like, it's like trying to get too quick to the result yeah. versus taking the time. Like the key to the heart is empathy. Empathy takes time and understanding it's wet ground. It's, it's, it's nutritious soil that can receive a seed that's planted into it. And so sometimes that comes through relationship and sometimes, you know, I have a friend who she's the number one mental performance coach in the world. She had someone drive to the Starbucks line after she got out of grad school and he was in the uh, Starbucks line and he said, um, so did you go to college or, you know, like just trying to like chop it up and ask questions. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, so what do you have your degree? And she's like, sports psychology. He was like, oh, you got one of those degrees. The one, one of the ones you'll never use. And that man, that burned her. She's a competitor. She's super tough. That got right underneath so hard, but sometimes people are motivated by that chip on the shoulder. Oh and, gosh. And so that pushed her forward in a really good way. But it also could have been like, you know, we have those moments, but we also have the other people who are in our lives who say, you know, you can, you can do this different, you can do it better. When I started coaching her, she was making $60,000 a year. And within, I don't know, seven or eight months of working with April to December, we went to 685,000. The next year she did 1.7 million. Wow. So yeah. Oh, she's Good little chip. Extre extremely, yeah. extremely talented. But that's the deal is that sometimes you meet people and, and you're going to hit the hard moment. And then sometimes you're going to meet people where that, that soil is fertile. And you're going to help them literally have quantum leaps in their life because of your investment and your words and your kindness and you're your pushing them forward and you being there for them. I, she was already extremely talented. I just told her that there's, there's more possibility. Tough love. Yeah. And I, I, I had the easy job of just going like, all right, let's prove this motherfucker. <laughs> right? Yeah, because people have to be open to that. You know, while you were talking, I was thinking there's a story in the Bible. Jesus walks up to the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. He's That's obviously right. paralyzed. He's been there for years. And Jesus asks him the silliest question. He says, do you want to be made well? Says, what do you think, bro? I'm sitting here. I can't right. move my legs. I'm right. trying to get to this pool. Nobody will take me. Why are you asking rhetorical questions? Just <laughs> fix me, you know? And I think, and the scholars have a million opinions about why he asked this question. But I think one really valid point is because people have to be at a place where they are ready for wholeness. Are you ready for the life that's going to come? That's going to look very different than the one you are currently in if I make you well and whole, right? If I encourage you, if I give you this truth and love, are you actually ready? Is the soil ready? Yes. Are you ready to go out and get a job and buy your lunch tomorrow? Yeah. Are you ready to have to like be intentional with your life? Or have you become so accustomed to sitting here in this place, relying on other people for alms or money or whatever the case may be? 
Um, and I think people have to be ready to, to, to be made talked about. Yeah. And it's like, he, so he said the other day, we were talking about this and he's like, I, I don't, I don't have any capacity to talk people into trying to be great, you know? And I was like, man, I so relate to you. And you just, that's exactly what you're talking about. You nailed, like, when they're ready, when they, how do you get people to be ready? Like, I have, I have some loved ones in my life that, like, all the support's there, all the tools, like, we're all there waiting, but they're just not ready. So it's like pushing behind a donkey, right, that doesn't want to walk. You encourage them. That's it. You, someone's got to be the one speaking to them saying, there's a different possibility available for you. The readiness comes from, there's like, I think there's two aspects. There's the fear, right? So some people aren't ready because they're afraid. Then some people just lack belief. Or, and then some people just don't want it. And so like, I had a, a coach, uh, Robert White. He's probably 83 years old now. He brought the human potential movement to the United States from Asia in the 70s. He mentored 1.7 million people. I mean, he built one of the biggest coaching businesses in the world. If you know Landmark Forum, he built the competitor to Landmark. Yeah. Um, and he was first. And then Landmark came. And there's so much story around that. But I can't tell half of those stories because I'll let him tell Monday. Um, but the thing that he told me is there's a, there's a difference between commitment and readiness. Some people are committed, but they're not ready. A way that my other mentor, Tony, uh, Tony Grebmeyer said, he said, are you interested or are you committed? That's the difference between readiness. And you can't shift someone's readiness. Life will have its way of shifting people's readiness. When they are crushed to the point of where they cannot take, they, you know, Bishop Jake said, you take a lick and keep on ticking. When you get literally smashed in the ground so hard, something's going to force you. But that's typically an external that brings an internal response. Um, if someone's not asking for more, not everybody is asking for more. Yeah. Some people are asking for less. So readiness is a very interesting concept. And I'm curious for you, like, what got you ready to make a shift in your life? And I just kind of look at it, was it you understanding the potential of what you were capable of and you seeking like the outcome in your life that you wanted? Or was it the opposite side? Because a lot of human behavior says that we, we are most willing to do things for other people rather than for ourselves. So the question is who are you doing it for? So was it for you or was it for other, like the redemption that you could bring to others? Yeah, for me, it's other people. I'm generally, much more motivated by helping others than myself. Um, even in a healthy way, right? So like not necessarily the unhealthy version of that from pleasing. being a teenager, right? Helping and pleasing. 100%. Yeah, pleasing versus serving or helping. Um, honestly, and you know, I think, again, scripture, you know, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase, right? And I think loving on people and encouraging people, like he said, and then when the time is right, he'll make it right. And I think the biggest thing, especially for people that we love, that are like in that inner circle that we talk about, is just letting them know that we're there so that when he makes the time right or when life makes the time right, they just know that they can come to you. And you've made that known that I'm here for you when you're ready. But for me, it was, you know, over the last several months, people like Cap and others just being like, I really see this in and people that haven't known me my whole life being like, wow, I really see this in you. Or man, when you speak, like things happen or I feel something or, you know, someone told me just a couple of weeks ago that, you know, the way that I talk and deliver things is like with humility, but like 
very effective and just all those sorts of things, getting to a place of being like, you know what, I think this could really help people if I step outside of myself yeah. and get over myself. Um, and so for me, it's definitely very much about other people. So, so what are you committed to? I am committed to the process. And what are you ready for? I think I'm ready for just about anything. Honestly, honestly, I, I, I like truly, you know, I'm at this place where I, you know, I'll be 38 years old in a couple months and I feel like I've wasted a lot of time. Right. And then, so I, I have to really keep self deprecation and self hatred and like all of that stuff at bay. But I do feel like I've wasted time. Like the last nine years of my life, while they are immeasurably beautiful in many ways, I have two beautiful children that are just, bro. I mean, it's just like God smiled upon the earth, you know, and I know you guys feel the same about your kids, but, and so there's a lot of redemption that's already happened in those nine years. At the same time, I look back at those nine years, whether that be for the kingdom or just my community or whoever I like, I just feel like there's been time wasted. And so I'm here for the process and I'm ready for anything. Do you believe that time is real? Yeah, absolutely. I don't. And I'll explain it because this is whenever we go to feel that I reverse it and go, well, what's the belief? Right. I don't believe time is real. So I think that all we ever have is right now. Right. So the past is just a memory and the future is just a projection. So all we really have is every physical, literal second that we're in. So I go like, okay, well, the greatest moment in order to make any shift or if you're ready for anything is to just drive it in the present moment. I'm thinking when you're on your way home, are you going to encourage five people? Right. Because that's like the, I'm ready. Yeah. yeah. I'm ready for anything. I'm like, dang, he's ready for anything. Like, so now I'm like, all right, let's put this dude on. Yeah. Like wherever we can. Yeah. Like, cause if you're ready, then like you're ready. Yeah. And then let's, let's hit it. And so I just look at that concept and I just, I just, for that's my personal belief. So, cause there's been times bro, where I look back and I'm like, man, my kids, how is my daughter already eight years old? Like, I don't understand. And I, yeah, of course you hear everybody say, they're already grow up so quick. How? Because literally I watched a video today. I was like, that was three years ago. And I swear to God, that feels like a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. That feels like a month ago. How did that happen? And then I just, I, I quickly can get back into my space and go, time is not real. And it's not a deflection. It's just a better thought. When Einstein created E equals MC squared, he was dismissed from the scientific community for over 10 years. They called him a psychopath. And they said he was literally had lost his mind. And he learned that thing. If you go, right, you know the shit, US history. So there's, there's parts of this, although he wasn't in the US. But the idea is that when he did e equals MC squared, he said that he had an out-of-body experience of where he saw the time and space continuum, literally from sitting on top of himself. Mm -hmm. He escaped time in order to see how it operated. So I go like, well, if I look at the story of Christ, like it's as true today as it was ever. I see the redemption of what he did 2,000 years ago every single day. Absolutely. And so I'm like, it's all right here. So that's helped me so much not go to those moments of going like, what did I do today? And because that just fills me with, with anxiety and frustration yeah. and the feeling, I always say, you are the creator of your emotions. You're not the victim of them. Absolutely. So I'm saying I'm creating this feeling and I go, okay, well, what's my belief? If my belief is that I've wasted time, it's going to continue. So my belief is that time is not real, that I can maximize the exact moment that I'm in. It gets me like 
really, really sharp and just staying dialed in. So hopefully that's of encouragement to you. Yeah. So say, screw it. Time's not real. I've done everything the best that I know to do it in the moment that I knew to do it. So when I leave here tonight, I'm going to encourage five people on the way home. Yeah. Well, that's the mega shift, yeah. bro. I've already encouraged five people today. So we, we can just do five more on the way home. Yeah. You know, and that's like from a kingdom aspect, you know, like we know that the kingdom is now and coming, right? It is both now and coming, um, you know, and then from a, you know, because of my counseling degree and background, like a very good counseling mechanism to help people understand is if you just stepped into your life today, you're like this outside observer and you stepped in and you're aware of everything that's happened before, but you're not personally responsible for it. How would you help you just pick up from right now and make the, the back half or whatever better or more? Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. I think about that a lot. And I think about the future. I always feel like I have to walk faster, talk faster, get more done because I feel like there's an hourglass and like the sand. That's literally how I feel all the time. And I'm like, something could be, you know, the Lord could have a plan for me tomorrow. It could be you know, 30 years down the road and I got to get, I got a lot to get done. Yeah. And asked you that question earlier on like, what is one of those things? That's one of those things that motivates me and does get a ROI, but at the same time, it's not healthy all the time either. Like there's a Sunday. Sometimes I just need to sit and cuddle with my kids and watch TV and watch a movie. I don't need to be up down and going to do something, you know? Yep. Kept, I, I struggle with that. You too? Hard. And what I've noticed from reading a couple of books over the last few weeks is that for me, it stems from what people would call like an orphan spirit or an orphan mentality. So even though I had a really great dad, there were nights, like I've told you before, where we went to sleep and we didn't have dinner, right? Like we just didn't eat. There was no food in the house. And so I had a very loving father. He's one of the best men I know. He loves people better than even I can. I mean, he's tremendous at people and serving people, but he just couldn't provide at a high level. All the clothes I had were hand-me-downs. If I went to church camp, it was because somebody else paid and sponsored it. And so at a very early age, it was just like, who the frick is going to take care of me? Dad loves me. Wow. Dad loves me a lot, but he can't take care of me. Right. Right? We're on food stamps. I got to go with mom under the 210 bridge in Lake Charles, this little shack, and, and get these literal paper food stamps that look like Monopoly money, right? Like. Right. Dad loves me and dad is here, but he can't provide for me like these other kids' dads can. And learning that that, even though I have a good father, that it produces a very strong orphan mentality and spirit that says, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Because if Cap stops, who's looking out for Cap? Right. If Tommy stops, who's looking out for Tommy? Yeah. And I don't know if that helps you at all, but it's starting to help me yeah. to realize that I can rest in father's heart right and know that if i take a day or two that there is somebody something that is looking out for me that's a good word it's a really good word right and that's the whole essence of sabbath if you're a believer and you study scripture is resting in the fact that i can take a day off and he's got me he's got me Kind of like when you're super busy at work and then you like have to go on vacation. Or you got to go to the bathroom really bad. Uh, I'll go on vacation. I'll be like, how am I going to go on vacation? You know, there's just so much. And I'll just turn it over to the Lord. I'll be like, well, I'm going. The first time it ever happened was when I got went on a cruise ship. 
was, oh shit. And it didn't have any Wi-Fi. And no I was tweaking. Like, oh, I was like <laughs> for the first couple of hours. And then after a while, I was like, okay, well, whatever. And I remember the peace I had that week. Um, when I went to Israel, this was the first time I went to Israel. You didn't bring your cell service over there. This was in 2008. And it was like, if you did, you were going to pay a lot of money for it. So we turned it off. I remember being over there for 10 days, like without my cell phone. And I was like, wow, okay. The world didn't fall apart. Right. And uh, that's something I'm still living in very much. Yeah. I'm excited to, to never have a phone again. Oh, it's on my I just want everyone to follow me around and they can publish a bunch of stuff, but I don't even want to be in that. Right. Flip phones on my Absolutely. bucket list. Definitely on my bucket list. Yeah. 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 Flip phone. yeah. Yeah. I'm a lot. I think a lot of people are going to do that. I think it's a matter of just a couple of years. And I think, I think whether someone is a believer or not, I think if people get real honest with themselves, this orphan mentality thing for people like us who feel like we have to produce or always be on and can't even take a step back to be like, I'm pretty sure if someone just gave you a blank check and they were like, you would choose to spend time with your family, like at least a majority of your time, right? And doing that and feeling guilty about it or doing that and feeling like you should be somewhere else whether you're a believer or not, I would strongly wager that it's tied to some sort of orphan feeling, right? Of like, nobody's got my back. There's always that. Do you have that feeling of, um, you fight the feeling of it's oh, it, it's all going to go away? Oh, all the time. Yeah. That might be one of the roots. It is. It. it is. And then I have sure. to talk myself into it. I was like, is it really going to go away? You know, and if it does, what's the worst thing that happens? If it does. that's well, I got my family. Right. I know that we'll still love each other. You asked that question earlier and it really got my mind going. I was like, you know, man, it's 2025. You know, I'm, I'm traveling with, with my kids and my wife. I'm able to work from my computer where I want. Um, I get to do my living by breathing into other people's lives and helping them you know, get through challenges and adversities and the workplace or their careers or their vocation. Um, serving on um, at least twice a weekend where we're, you know, giving away, distributing a tractor trailer truck of food. You know, I want to get back to that again. Um, yeah, just the, the freedom to operate in God's gifts in towns without all the other restrictions. Absolutely. You know, like people need me. Yeah, people need me, but I don't want to be like, people need me in an office that I have to drive 30 minutes across town in traffic. To. <laughs> I'll right. The people that need me, the ones that are like, I need your smile on a Saturday morning when you're helping me load these groceries up in the back of my car. Right. And that's, I, gosh, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to butcher his name. There's an Indian poet. I won't even try his first name, but his last name is like Tagore or something like that. But and I'll probably misquote this as well, but we'll get the point. He said, I slept and I dreamed that life was joy. I woke and found that life was service. So I acted and found out that service was joy. And I think that's kind of like a theme that we've been talking about all throughout the night, whether that's how does somebody found hope and we say, you go give it away to somebody else, right? Or I want to spend my life just giving my gifts and talents away without all these other restrictions of things that I feel are dutiful, right? And I think understanding that life is service and that the service is what brings the greatest joy, I think is a way to really unlock hope for yourself and for other people. That's good.
closing talk? I think that was the one. <laughs> Our boy Tagore. Maybe I may be mispronouncing it. We'll look it up. Say Deepak Chopra. <laughs> well, I'm extremely honored that you came to the Hope Wagon. Thank you, Cap. And uh, I'm extremely honored to have you in my life. Same. And your genuine friendship, you know, means a lot to me. Um, I look forward to my messages from you because I know they're going to transcend my heart <laughs> and they're going to make my day. And uh, I really appreciate you coming here and just sharing a little bit about your journey and authenticity and transparency. Thank you. It's been a privilege to talk with both of you. Yes. We hope you'll go out there continue Absolutely. dealing some hope to other people. You know it. Will you join the cartel? Absolutely. Let's All go. Right. <laughs> All right. But, All right, folks. I'm Sean. Nick. Thank you for tuning in to the Hope Wagon. See ya. <laughs> Good stuff. No.